0: Hi, everyone. I hope you all are doing well. Here we are another week back with the pod. Um, One thing that's really frustrating, I know I've expressed this before, but I think today it's really getting to me is just recording here in my apartment um, is really challenging because it's so loud outside. um, And I just feel like so conscious of that. And I know that you know it's not. It's not as noticeable as a listener, like when you're listening to it, but you can definitely like hear background noises, and I'm just like, oh my god, like can these people just be quiet for a second? And it just seems like the cars choose to like, and the buses choose to drive louder at the time that I'm recording, and something is going off somewhere, and it's just it's so much. Um, So again, please, please, please bear with me um, as I record during these noises and I admittedly haven't thought about, you know, a better place where I could go to record Um, and I'm sure there are places I just like literally have not thought about it so stay tuned for that Um, but I think also if any of you live in a city, you know that it's it's challenging to kind of find peace and quiet long enough to record something. Um, you know, that being said, literally a bus. Someone just honked. Great. Um, a bus is going by. Wonderful. Um, okay, we're just going to do our best to ignore that and I'm going to try to talk over it as much as I can. Um, but it just, I don't know, today's just really getting to me. Um, I do have a little bit of, uh, an interesting, quite bizarre story that I want to share on here before we get into today's topic, like this is completely unrelated, um, to what I'm about to discuss, um, but last Friday, was it? Um, so basically... Friday and Thursday, I felt like I was hearing, like, birds outside my window that were, and they were really loud, like, I was like, wow, they sound, like, they're literally right next to my ear, you know, like, when you're, like, I, I would wake up to it, and I'd be like, wow, it seems like a bird is literally chirping in my ear, like, if it, it was so, so loud, and I, I didn't really understand why and I noticed like a little bit of bird poop on my window which you know obviously that's like a natural thing that can happen but it's never happened before like it was just something I was like oh that's so interesting like maybe there are birds really close to my window for some reason right now because I don't know and then on Friday morning it's I don't even know. It's not even 6am. And I hear really loud chirping for like an hour. And also like a bird, you know, when birds like fly into windows, it's really tragic when they do. But this bird was literally, it felt like this bird was really kept flying into my window, like repeatedly. Like it was just like banging on the window every two seconds. And my blinds like on the inside would be would shudder from it and I was like wow that must be like a really strong bird to be able to shutter the blinds from the outside and also why is this bird flying into my window repeatedly like you know that you can't go this way obviously at this point like I I think birds are very intelligent obviously they have a fantastic sense of direction um but I was just really confused and I didn't have my glasses on, and it just looked like this bird kept flying to my window, so I was like, okay, and then at a certain point, I, and I was like, there's no way that it's inside my room, right, but at a certain point, I put on my glasses, and I realized that there was literally a bird inside my room, Um. I just, I had no words, like, I just looked at it, open-mouthed, I was like, what is going on and um it had pooped all over my window and like on the blinds too and honestly i've been trying to get it off but this it's yeah i don't know so basically this bird very tiny bird um probably a baby which i was like oh um it's just hitting the window and I was like you're hitting the and it made sense like you're hitting the window repeatedly because you're trying to get out and I I so when I left for London obviously my windows were closed like everything was closed you know and it was also winter um and so I didn't really think much of it but I think that the windows in this apartment um are not very sturdy like in their frames like they kind of fall forward a lot and stuff like it could literally fall onto your head that sounds really sketch but it's okay um and so the top and so the the top window can slide down like from the top and so there was a gap at the top which I hadn't noticed as, as my blinds were down um that probably happened you know in the time that I was gone I know like someone came to put in The AC in the other window, maybe that kind of um, triggered it. I don't know. And so there was an opening at the top of my window, like a small opening, and that the bird had managed to fly in through that small opening. Um, And the bird couldn't figure out how to get out um, and was like on the sill in the middle of my window. I wish I could just, like, draw a diagram for you guys, but whatever. Um, And so I was just like, what do I even do, right? Um, So I called the emergency maintenance line for my apartment, and I'm like, this is a really weird situation, but there's a bird in my room, and I need someone to come and get the bird out. Because I don't think when it's, like, a wild bird, like, from... You know, just not someone's pet. I don't think you're supposed to touch birds, um, and I didn't want to, you know, exacerbate anything and have the bird fly further into my room or into the apartment for that matter. It was just a very bizarre situation, and I called and the guy was like, "Yeah, we'll put in a request for you," and that was that. And but he didn't give me like any time frame of when anything would be happening. So I was like, okay, I guess we'll see how this goes. Um, And then 30 minutes pass and I decide to call back because I'm like, I actually don't know when anyone's coming, I don't know what to expect. And I call and I get a woman and she was not the nicest person, Um, very Boston, I guess. Um, And she was like, we don't have any control over when they come. Like, it's out of our hands now. Deal with it, basically. So I was like, okay. Like, she just didn't seem like she wanted to She wanted to answer any of my questions or engage. So I was like, okay, that's that. Um, I also, like, submitted fix-it requests, like, in our maintenance, in our resident portal. And then um, I also email, you know, the manager of the property, things like that. Um, luckily, you know, 10 minutes probably after that second phone call, I get a knock on the door, a maintenance man comes in and he's like, all right, let's get this bird out. And, um, basically what he did was he lowered the top window, um, like he kept lowering it so the bird would notice that there was an opening and could fly out. But the bird, like, literally was not noticing at all, like- the window was literally open for the bird. Like the bird definitely could feel the breeze of the outside, like on their feathers. Uh, but still couldn't figure out what to do. So we had to keep prompting and be like, Come on, buddy, like, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. Finally the bird flies out and the maintenance man securely shuts the window and make sure makes sure everything is like good to go. Um and then I had to clean up all the bird poop, which, again, was hard to do. And there's probably still some on the blinds because it's hard to explain. But I'm, I'm doing what I can. I'm doing what I can. Um, honestly, a lot of people, like my roommate and my mom and other people were telling me, you know, if I were in your position, I would have been terrified. Like, that is just such a bizarre thing to happen, you know and i don't know why i mean i was definitely startled obviously but i was just like all right it is what it is kind of like let me just coexist with this bird right now i'm in my cinderella era um and yeah we were just going with it and i was like as long as the bird doesn't move from where they are it'll be fine like you know what i mean um Which the bird didn't. Like, all the bird wanted to do was get out. Um, So that was just... It was just really interesting. And I feel like a lot of stuff... Like, random stuff like that happens to me. Um, I have a lot of stories to tell. As if you know me personally, you know that I do. Um, And, yeah. I, I don't know. Even to this day, I'm just like, okay even to this day, given that it's not even a week later, lol, but, um, yeah, just really, really interesting, and I thought that I would come on here and share it, and I remember when it was happening, I was like, oh my gosh, I definitely have to share this on the podcast, like, that's just too funny. Um, so yeah, that has nothing to do with the topic for today, but I hope that you all, Enjoyed that little story introduction. Um and we'll keep going from there. Alright, so today we are talking about something that is very I guess diaspora kid problems type stuff. And I do want to acknowledge before getting into this that of course, like I'm gonna be sharing my own experience as you know a brown Indian girl growing up in the US Um, but of course I think it's really important to acknowledge that not all communities of color have the same experiences and it's very important to disaggregate these communities because there are a lot of privileges that I have as an Indian American woman that other communities do not um, and maybe vice versa I don't know Um, so I, I just wanted to preface this with that, but I think that me sharing this, a lot of you will resonate with it. Um, and yeah, I, I guess the context for this is about a little, about a year and a half ago, I wrote a piece, um, as well as some, it it was a blog post too. I posted it on my blog, um, and I'll link it obviously in the description of this, but I had started out writing it as a piece for my community in my hometown, the Indian community in my hometown, um, for a newsletter there, and I wanted to write about the experience, you know, of being a brown girl, you know, going through K through 12 in the U.S., and, you know, what that what that entailed in terms of, like, a sense of belonging and insecurities and things like that. Um, The blog post is called Color Me Brown. Again, I will link it. Um, And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read, like, a little portion of it, but I kind of want to just talk about the overall concepts that I have in here um, and kind of reflect on that so you hear, like, the perspective, I guess, you know, in a different sense than just words on the page, Um, but basically the excerpt that I'm going to read, I'm going to just read it out and we'll go from there. Um, So it says, or I wrote, I guess, we shifted our perceptions of beauty and culture to accommodate our white counterparts and internalize the racism that prompted us to do so. At a certain point, one gives into the pressure to fit a mold that makes everyone else feel comfortable, and the microaggressions just fly over their head. On occasion, I asked my white friends in high school about how they perceived me when we met. Did my brown skin and Indianness stand out to them the most? As much as they said that they noticed details of my pers- personality above all else, I could sense that these physical and cultural differences were aspects that they would never understand. This does not have to be a barrier, but for a teenage girl, it can certainly feel like one. So the reason I wanted to read that part is just to say that I, and I write about this too in the post, but I have always been proud to be a woman of color, to be Indian, you know, to, like, I've been proud of having the culture that I have. Um, I, I don't condone, obviously, like a lot of the Actions that the state of India does, like the government and things like that, but I'm just saying like culturally, I obviously love my culture and how fun it is and how beautiful it is um and i and even when I was obviously a kid i I loved it, right, but I think that when you're grow when you're growing up in predominantly white spaces. Going to predominantly white institutions where literally most of your friends are white people, um, it can be hard to know how to balance the your culture and your ethnicity and all of that with, you know, the day to day of like going to school and everyone kind of expects the same thing from everyone. Like everyone expects you to, you know like attractiveness is seen in one way, you're supposed to wear these clothes, your hair is supposed to look like this, whatever, right? And of course, now, as I'm older, I don't care about any of that stuff. And I think that there is a lot of beauty in the unique uniqueness that we all hold. But, um, you know, I think that the concept of "Quote unquote," fitting in is kind of universal across the board, and I think if you are a person of color, um, this is only heightened um, because I know you know even even my white friends obviously felt that to some extent, like they want to feel included, they want to feel a sense of belonging, all of that. But when you are a person of color in these spaces, it's like you're naturally more ostracized, um, and that being said, I do think I I had amazing friends like all throughout, you know, K through 12 through growing up even now, and it's nothing about them. But I think that, you know, when you're a kid, there are certain microaggressions that you in which you engage. I think we all engage in them and then you end up internalizing those. So, you know, I think I think for a lot of Asian communities, it's a there's, like, the model minority myth, and, you know, like, oh, like, you must be good at math, um, you must be doing, you must be great at this or that, um, can you speak in an Indian accent so we can laugh, you know, and, and that's the thing, too, like, so many of my white friends were, like, please, like, speak in an Indian accent, which I don't have, obviously, but they, but I obviously know what it sounds like, so they're, like, speak in that accent, because um, we think it's funny, when it's, It's not. It's someone's accent, you know? Um, And it's just... I don't know. You only really realize these things later on. I feel like I had internalized it so much throughout life. And I'm not really sure why that is. But there's a lot of unlearning, I think, even in this sense that I had to do. Um, And... I also think that because of, you also have to look at like the history of this world, right? The history of this country, the history of India, for example, with colonization and racism and colorism and all those things. Because when when so much violence occurs, of course you're going to subscribe to whiteness when they're the ones, when white people historically were the ones who were inflicting, you know, all of that violence um, and showing that, establishing that they were the ones who had the power, right? So, I mean, even to this day, I think in India, fairness, for example, like fair skin is still Widely embraced, and you can see it in the advertisements um, for different, you know, like skincare products and things like that. And so, I think again, as a whole, as the country as a whole, the community as a whole has internalized this aspect of racism and colorism, um, and it it definitely creates more damage than I think people realize and like causes more harm than people realize um so you know even even though when I was a kid I I I've always loved being brown and you know having you know melanin in my skin things like that and I've always embraced that in other people but there was also a part of me that was like I I think I would benefit from being, like, a couple shades lighter, you know? And I think, you know, when I think about that now, like, that's really hard to admit. But those thoughts did cross my mind as a little girl. And it breaks my heart that it did. Because I'm so glad to be brown. And, yeah, I just... It's just like, you know, you compare yourself to even in the Indian community, like, among my friends in the Indian community, I would com- you, you, like, subconsciously compare, like, the shade of your skin to theirs. Even though you're all brown, of course people are going to be different shades of brown, right? Um, and I think that a lot has changed, like, in terms of trends and culturally since that point, because I know that, you know, when I was growing up and like, especially in middle school, I feel like I really noticed this, um, light skin tones and straight hair were seen as more attractive than darker skin tones and curlier textured hair. Um, and of course, you know, when you're that age, you're going through puberty and you're growing and all this stuff. Um, you want to be seen as attractive. You want to, you want to be wanted by, I don't know, like, obviously, romantically you want to be wanted, but then at the same time, because you're starting to develop, like, all these crushes on people and things like that, but at the same time, you also know that if you look a certain way, if you wear certain clothes, then so-and-so will be more inclined to have you in their friend group, have you in their clique, whatever it is, Um, and... I will say right now that my hair, I have very, very, very thick hair um, and it has only gotten curlier as I've grown older. It used to be like a lot straighter when I was young, but it's definitely curly now. Um, And, you know, it can, without product and things like that, it can frizz up. um, And again, it's very, very thick. Um, So I remember being in middle school everyone, every girl was straightening their hair, and I didn't have a flat iron or anything at the time, and I was afraid to ask for one because I just didn't feel like it would be understood as to why I wanted one, and I'm glad that I didn't because I, first of all, I've straightened my hair like a handful of times in life, I don't like doing it, um, It takes a long time because my hair is really thick and it's not naturally straight and it's damaging. Um, And I feel like if I had straightened my hair like every single day in middle school, like where would my hair be now? Like how healthy would it be? What would the quality of my hair be? Right. So, you know, hindsight 2020, like in retrospect, I'm glad that I didn't. But at the time I was like, oh, like I need to have straight hair to seem cool or to fit in, you know, like I gotta wear the the Hollister t-shirts and have straightened hair and do all this stuff right but it's it's so and it sounds so trivial now but I think in the moment when you're you want to keep up with the trends I mean even now we do right and and the thing is um it's so interesting because Nowadays, it seems like the trend is, you know, having thick curly hair and being as tan as possible and things like that. And you see like every single white girl self-tanning all the time, Um, which, you know, do whatever you got to do. But I will say here and now that there are a lot of white girls out there who are really, really, really close to crossing a line or have crossed that line of doing, like, brown face um, or black face because your tan should not be that dark. Like, why is your tan the same shade as, like, my skin tone or darker than my skin tone? Like, that is actually terrifying to me. Um, I'm sorry. I'm just saying it here now. I'm also not sorry. Uh, But I think it's important to think... If you are white and you're listening to this, please think critically before doing something like that. Um, because y'all were the ones who were bullying us, bullying us brown kids when we were younger for having brown skin. And I know it's not all of you as a collective, but I personally, when I was a kid, I, I was bullied or like made fun of for being brown um, by, by white girls. So to see those same white girls now wanting to be as tan as possible and wanting to do all these things that were naturally you know features like naturally in communities of color is mind blowing to me and it's like if that weren't the trend now how would 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 the internalized racism still be present like in each of us um i don't know it's it's honestly frustrating it's it's upsetting and it's frustrating because Yes, I'm glad that all of these things are embraced now. And again, like everyone's uniqueness and like everyone's looks are embraced and all of that. And I think that's how it always should have been. But that's the issue is that it hasn't always been that way. And going through K through 12, I didn't feel that at all. Um,. And now it's like, oh, everyone's like, oh my gosh, like I wish I had your hair, oh, I, you glow like in the sun, things like that. Oh, your skin is so great, whatever. Thank you, great, awesome. Um, I, I app- love those things about myself and appreciate those things too. But how can you say that when ten years ago you were saying the exact opposite? Um. So I think that's been really hard to... It's something that has taken a lot of reflection, and another thing is I feel like I've reflected on this a lot with, again, my friends who are also Indian, who my, who are also brown, and we've all done a lot of reflection on it, but I just don't know if I can say the same for our white counterparts. So again, if you are white and you are listening to this, um, I just think this is this is a chance for you to also think critically about this um, and, you know, kind of reflect on maybe certain uh, beliefs or microaggressions that you had or that you expressed when you were a kid that you know now is not would not be right to express it all. Um, And we've all been there, right? Like, there were so many times when I... To be accepted, to make everyone laugh in a setting, I would play into those, you know, microaggressions. Like, I'd be like, oh yeah, like, oh my gosh, like, I'm Indian. Like, why did I not get 100% on this math test or something? You know what I mean? Um, And that's a very small example. There are obviously way more like extreme microaggressions um and that I could list here but I just am not choosing not to do so um and it's just I don't know it's just like I wish that I hadn't done that I wish that I had I guess um fought back against those things a little bit more but again when you're a kid and that's all you know it's really hard to do so Um, On top of, like, the stressors that you already have of school and, I don't know, just excelling in school and, like, your extracurriculars and working on getting into a good college if that's what you choose, things like that, right? And And then all of this other stuff kind of comes, arises in different ways or manifests in different ways. So it's... I'm definitely glad that now, you know, as an adult and especially like going to college and things like that, um, I've focused a lot on deconstructing like these perceptions that I had of myself and um, kind of helping others to do the same. And I think that I felt really empowered, you know, by both my white and non-white friends, um in college to be who I am authentically and kind of view myself as someone who is truly beautiful because of these things because of these features that I have and of course I I viewed myself that way before like it didn't take me until college to do that but I think it just kind of solidified a lot of things or made me feel like grow into myself more like I was more confident in Embracing who I am in every aspect, like personality-wise, and then also how I look and my identities and things like that. Um, I, and then you do realize like the hypocrisy within like the beauty industry and within trends and how, though, those industries love to capitalize on people of color, and, like, they, it's like, it's, it's like they pick and choose what to take from POC cultures, instead of, you know, embracing things as a whole, you know, from, from the, from the beginning, right? Like, oh, like, they can pick, you know, like, it's, I think that's the other aspect of it, too. Like, if you're white, and you're able to, choose certain things that you want to reflect on yourself, like whether it be like a certain hairstyle or whatever it is. And then, but you're not experiencing the other side of that. You're not experiencing the hardships that a lot of communities of color have to face. Um, And again, those hardships range a lot. Like the hardships that I face, of course, I'm not saying that they compare it all to the hardships of other communities of color. Um, But that being said... There are a lot of things that white people will never understand about how it is to be a person of color, obviously, and how it is to exist when people choose the aspects of your culture that they like and then dismiss the rest. Um, Like, you have to acknowledge all of it. And people, white people are so easily able to not do that, if that makes sense. Um, I'm sorry if I'm not explaining this in the best possible way, but I'm trying to... I'm trying to be as constructive as possible and respectful as possible with this. Um, And... Yeah, I guess there's, like, an aspect of... When I talk about something like this, I also didn't really plan out, like, what I was going to say. So I think there's an aspect of, um... Like... I don't know. I, I don't even know what I'm really trying to say. But I'm sorry if this isn't in... If this isn't being explained as seamlessly as you'd like. But I think that you all will understand the gist of it. um, And... And I just, I really want you all to take, like, a moment to reflect on this. I know I've been saying, you know, if you're white and you're listening to this, please definitely take a moment to reflect. I think that also as people of color, especially if you're um, a brown, a brown woman who grew up in a South Asian community, I think that um, a lot of this will... A lot of this is a good prompt, like, for a reflection within yourself, too, um, or maybe, you know, there are people in your life with whom you'd love to chat about this, and I just, I want this to be kind of like a launching pad for those conversations. Um, I think that, overall, I think it's very important for people to be proud of their ethnicities and their skin colors and like where they come from and like that's not even that's not even the issue because I know that everyone is it's more so just how it's received right like everyone should be treated with respect and basic human rights and all these things regardless of how they look um and it's wild to me that I even have to say that of in 2023 still but also at all like why it's it's frustrating that this was ever a thing that certain uh, certain aspects of how someone looks were deemed as ugly or unattractive or things like that and the way that you know certain aspects of how someone looks could get you ahead in life um, while leaving everyone else behind. Like, that is just really bizarre and twisted to me. Um, and I think that we're slowly breaking down these narratives, but it it is also, it shouldn't also just be odd people of color to do that. Like, I think it takes everyone. Um, and... Again, that's I, that's also why I've been focusing so much on, you know, if you're white, like, please, please, please think about these things more critically, right? Um, one thing that I said in my post that I think is really important to remember is that consistently being surrounded by light-skinned or white individuals has a greater impact on a growing child's psyche than one expects, and while we cannot always help this, we can push them to internalize pride for their brown skin and culture. Um, I think that's the thing too. Like what you, it's kind of like, you know how like exposure is what you know in every aspect? So um, what you see is what you know. I saw a lot of white people, right? In every, in all my classes, in every activity that I did, it's obviously, it was, obviously predominantly white so that was what was normal to me you know and not that I'm not not that brown people aren't but like as a kid as a as a small kid that if that's all you're seeing like how can you really think otherwise and of course I obviously like was exposed to like my own community a lot you know like the Indian community and had my Indian friends and things like that. And then, you know, just other friends of color in general. But I almost felt like those were separate spaces. Um, Like, obviously, if I'm going to go to um, a family friend's house for dinner, or I'm going to, like, some Indian function, or I'm going to the temple or something like that, obviously, in those spaces, I'm going to see people who look like me, right? Um, But that didn't necessarily trickle into other spaces like if I'm sitting in my classroom like I'm looking around and there's a couple other kids of color but everyone else is white right or you know if I go to swim practice or if I go um if I go to play if I go to like my piano recital or something like that very rarely in those like it's like the numbers change the the demographics of the of the crowd change um so you end up like separating your lives almost like this is my life as an Indian this is my life as a kid in the U.S. when I wish that there would have been more of like an overlap there and now there definitely is right but back then I I feel like I had to keep it separate I felt like I had to keep it separate um and I think that, again, this is something, you know, as as future generations are born, and let's say, like, we all have kids, I think this is something that would be helpful to think about in raising our kids, like, maybe blending, blurring the lines and blending the communities a little bit more, um, intentionally putting our kids in more diverse spaces like not only with people from their own communities but you know people of all different identities all different backgrounds and things like that rather than just you know even saying like oh like they're gonna be in only Indian spaces or they're only gonna be or they're gonna be only in white spaces whatever like beyond go beyond that too and just diversify it all around um that's something that I feel like I want to be really intentional about with the kids I hope to have. Um, And I'm excited to see how things, how that all kind of manifests um, in the future. And I think, honestly, I will say that a lot of what I've shared just now and admitting to the internalized racism that I experienced is is really challenging um like i hate to even say it but i'm just hoping that this is a space this creates a space for a lot of you who may have felt the same way growing up and i don't think that it's also fair to obviously like blame a literal child for the things that they internalized um based on their surroundings so um keep all of that in mind for sure and just know that I am here to support all of you um, as you do reflect on these things, as you do embrace your identities, um, whether it's resurfacing old feelings that you had or coming to terms with new aspects of your identity that you haven't really addressed before. Um, I think that we can all take something away from this and again i really urge my white listeners and my white friends to really reflect on everything that i said here and think about the privilege you have in picking and choosing aspects of people's cultures that you like when those communities cannot do the same Um, so yeah, that's where I'll keep it for now. This one's a little bit short and sweet, and I can definitely reflect more on it in the future. Um, once I start having guests on the pod, there are a few people I really want to, like I really want to discuss this with a few people, just because we have discussed this, um, with each other in the past, and I love reflecting with them on it. Um, but yeah, let me know your thoughts, uh, you know, on Instagram, where you can follow the pod, um. Or other places. And I'll also say too. If you haven't followed the pod on your listening platform. Like on Apple or Spotify. Please, please, please do so. Um, I know a lot of you are following the pod. You know, on Instagram or whatever else. But please also click that follow button on um, your listening platform. And I really thank you all so much for supporting me through all of this. I do want to share... you know, my usual, like, something that filled me with joy or love this past week. And then, um, also a song recommendation. Um, so, for the song recommendation... Okay, here I am again with another album. But Kei Trinata and Amine came out with a joint album. Um is what they are together, and it is so good and fun and great for the summer and I just love both of them individually as artists so I was really excited for this to be released Um, so I will link that below um fun fact I've seen Amine live Um, it was a really fun concert for sure and oh I just love him so much like oh I just I have nothing but great things to say about Aminé and about K. as well. Um, in terms of what filled me with joy and love this past week, I let me think. Oh my God, it's so hard because I have to like think back onto what I to what I did over the past week. Um, like I'm literally looking at my calendar right now. Um, one thing that's really nice is I. Um, Well, a couple things. I was able to go out with a few of my friends on Friday, and that was really fun. I mean, I think, I keep saying this every week, but it's just so nice after spending three months virtually, like barely seeing any of my friends to kind of being surrounded by them whenever I want. Um, It's just such a nice feeling to kind of have that aspect of community again. Um, But I also spent a lot of quality time with myself, I feel like, this past weekend. And that was really nice, too. Like, I read a lot. And, I mean, I'm always reading a lot. But I just love being able to sit down, light a candle, read a good book, that type of thing. Um, So I'm excited to do that moving forward and, you know, see what this coming week and weekend has in store. But, yeah, I... Thank you all so much for sticking with me through all of this and listening to this pod. I know it was a little bit all over the place, but I hope at least some points resonated with you. I also hope the background noise, i.e. the traffic outside and whatever else is outside, wasn't too distracting during this pod. And I hope that you all have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. And I'm sending you all lots and lots of love.